Bongiorno and Glorious Bastards is next. everybody welcome into episode 12 of the movie goats podcast john as always joined by brady and brian and today we have quentin tarantino our first tarantino with brad pitt and glorious bastards we'll get into the the careers of those stars as well as some stars that were made by this movie but first as always we got to check in with the fellas brady how's it been going um, I would say uh, we today we have to give a shout out. We lost one of the the movie gods, uh, William Friedkin, uh, most famous for The Exorcist and The French Connection. I would say um, my personal favorites would be uh, Sorcerer and To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, all, but just in general, he's one of the great uh, filmmakers, and he's uh, he was a personality. You watch any interview with him, he would just speak his mind definitely worth uh diving into his filmography hopefully we'll cover him eventually um but yeah just had to give a shout out to him uh on this day all right and brian up in dc how are things going not too bad um i just was at the outer banks for a week um which was awesome as it always is i feel like you know live the pogue life like my man john b just just enjoy it. Paradise on earth, as they say. Did some fishing, did some golfing, spent a lot of time with my family, did a lot of crabbing, actually, and uh, made some crab cakes, ate a lot of good food. Uh, kind of the the essentials whenever uh, you go down to Outer Banks. So had a uh, had a great time. Um, always love that place. I feel like I, I guess this is the second podcast where I've been just come back from the OBX. So um, I don't know. I'm pretty much saying the same thing I said on episode two, but um, it never gets old for me. So yeah, doing well here. Shout out the Outer Banks. Yeah. Uh, myself, I've been crushing cinema, guys. I recently discovered my local theater has $6 tickets on Tuesdays. So I went, checked out Oppenheimer. Then this Sunday, yesterday, went and saw Barbie both of them are phenomenal. Oppenheimer might be the best movie I've seen in quite some time. And Barbie was just hilarious. So as we always say on this podcast, we're we're rooting for the movies and the movies are back in a big time. Brady, I know you saw Oppenheimer as well. Brian, have you seen either of the two so far? Not yet, but I have a hot date uh, with my wife to see Barbie on Friday. So I am pumped for that. There you go. I will I will say this, I gotta say, Oppenheimer, unqualified masterpiece. I had a time at the theater. It was like I can't it was one of those transcendent times uh that you don't not every year do you get a movie that affected me the way it did. I was blown away by it. And I especially jumping off our conversation uh last time with Interstellar, it definitely was like just like movies, movies are back. Okay, movies are way back. Movies are back. Like I got to the theater for Oppenheimer and there was only one other seat that wasn't taken in the entire theater. It was a movie tavern 
So there were people getting their beers on. Your boy didn't imbibe because he's on a little bit of a diet right now. But the one guy walked in with an entire bottle of wine. Respect the hell out of that move. Three-hour movie, you're just walking in, crushing an entire bottle of wine. (laughs) And then Barbie, it almost felt like going to a sporting event. People were all decked out in pink, the outrageous outfits. They were cheering during certain parts of the movie. Like it was like a crowd atmosphere. Movies are all the way back. I feel like a potential double feature we could do is a wine pairing or a beer pairing with the movie. I think that would be fun. I like that a lot. And I actually have one. This would be a German lager. (laughs) I was going to say this movie made me hungry and thirsty throughout and that's not just the diet talking that strudel looked incredible and then the little basement bar the uh the boot that the guys drinking you know that's the freshest pilsner probably just looked incredible the hell's lager and have you guys uh, ever been to germany i have not because i have a like i have a question every time i watch i you know i watch these like world war ii movies and whenever there's Germans alone, they only drink schnapps. And I've only seen schnapps at like <laughs> Christmas parties where people are pouring it down your throat with like chocolate syrup. And I just don't like get it. And I like I get it, but I'm also like I can't imagine just like sipping on schnapps. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like a, was it was this like a 1940s thing or does it maintain to this day? I don't know. Man. Honestly, I've. I wish I was more worldly to know that. And it's actually kind of sad because I do have a lot of German blood in me. So, um, but I will say my grandma who spoke German fluently and was a young girl in Germany before her uh, dad immigrated to the U.S. Um, I've never seen her drink schnapps and she crushed a lot of good, good cocktails and good liquors and she was not a schnapps woman. So I do know that at least. I Yeah, I've got plans to go to Europe uh in about a year maybe a little bit less than a year if we stop in germany i'm definitely just gonna sit down and start ordering schnapps just to see if they respect me a little bit because that's quite a move um yeah i'm all i don't know have you guys ever had francis connor beer no no oh it's it's so i mean you've probably seen the logo it's like like a monk on the label and he's like rubbing Um, his belly yeah yeah you've probably seen that somewhere but they make great beers and like german beers i I think are tremendous i mean i german food like yeah they've got some good dishes here and there i I don't want to disparage their uh culture too much but their beers really are like that good and francis connor maybe i'm like very american for saying that's my favorite german beer but like whenever i go to uh, like a beer hall or something they have francis connor i'm always getting it yeah so you uh disparaging the food a little bit you're not all about a sauerkraut sandwich (laughs) (laughs) although john you're right that strudel did look i mean out of this world good i I, that that was like one of the most i i was thinking to myself like is there a meal i've seen on film that i want more than that strudel that they're eating in this movie because i'm not sure there is the way that it's shot and everything it just looks so delicious and then the cream that they put on it too it's just like wow that looks so good you gotta wait for the cream all right so brady this was your pick this is our first quentin tarantino film he was in a little bit of a rut after kill kill bill was he not uh i don't think he was in a rut at all (laughs) he's never been in a rut Uh, (laughs) all right all right 
they're all I, I hear here here's the thing I'll, I'll, to, to take you back when I think about like where Quentin Tarantino is interesting for, for me because it's like when you're like getting into movies when you're young it's like you go into Pulp Fiction you go into Reservoir Dogs things like that and I remember it's kind of similar to the way I was with Spielberg where I kind of was like there he was one of my favorite when I was really young then I kind of felt like I matured out of him and I kind of was like, he makes entertaining movies that didn't uh, like uh, resonate with me emotionally. And then I remember I was in college. I was uh, in sex in the cinema class. And the teacher showed us Death Proof, which is generally um, considered his worst movie. He considers it his worst movie. And I watched it with the group. And and this is after I'd seen uh, Inglourious Bastards in theaters. I saw it with my older brother, uh, Jeff, and his uh, friend, Simon. And I remember walking out of Inglourious Bastards thinking that was very good, but it kind of left me cold. And then so I was kind of like, felt like I was above Inglourious Bastards. I watched that movie in class. And by the end of the movie, uh, Kurt Russell gets his. He's the villain. And we all threw our hands up. Everyone was cheering. And then I was like, oh, he just makes really fun, awesome movies that are entertaining. And it kind of brought me back to him. So now, like I, I ended up after that, I returned to his movies, and because like I always thought Pulp Fiction was really good, but didn't, and now they resonate with me more, and I consider him one of the more impressive, uh, you know, most reliable uh, movie makers, you know. But I've always had a weird relationship with Inglorious Bastards to this day, where I like, I have moments where I think it's one of the greatest opening scenes in any movie is the opening scene in this movie. But there's always something quite missing for me. And I thought one of the reasons I picked this is that I wanted to see if we could figure out what that was or if on rewatch, it would hit with me different. And we'll get into it. We're going to get into it because I think there's a lot to bite off with this. There's a, there, there's a lot going on with this movie. Um, but I'm interested. What, what's your guys' relationship with like Tarantino and specifically this movie? Uh, I watched this movie when it came out rented it i believe uh watched it with my dad and my sister and it was the first tarantino movie i ever saw and i was expecting it to be like a brad pitt kind of swashbuckling type of thing and they, they kind of lead you to believe that from the trailer a little bit more than it being this kind of deeply intellectual film um uh, and then you know later I got more introduced by brady thank you to tarantino watched Reservoir Dogs, watched um, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I love those movies. The dialogue is it for me. The way people talk is like how people talk in real life. Um, I don't know if anyone talks the way Quentin Tarantino movies talks. I think his genius is that they only sound like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like talking about the, the Madonna like a virgin. Like I'm just saying the pop culture references. Pop culture references and things like that make it, you know, it's fun. And he has his crew, you know, like Sam Jackson's in a lot of the the movies and and, and things like that. So I'm a big big Tarantino fan. And to be honest, going into this most recent rewatch, I had this as my lowest rated Tarantino movie and that changed. So. I'm pretty surprised by both of you guys, like having a kind of, it sounds like a weird up and down relationship with this movie, because when I saw Inglorious Bastards, it was 
unequivocally my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, and it still is to this day. And it hasn't, I don't think anything's really close. I know that's a bit of a hot take. I mean, I, I did like Pulp Fiction. I like Reservoir Dogs. Um, but when I saw Inglorious Bastards, I thought it was something that was more special than those movies. Um, I do, th- I, I really did like Django Unchained. I felt like it was like, is he, it felt like very much kind of a very similar movie to Inglorious Bastards, maybe to the point where it almost felt like a sequel <laughs> in a way. Um, and I, I that that took away from it a little bit for me, but I still enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was good. I actually saw a premiere for Django Unchained, um, like like two months before it even came out. It was pretty wild. It was like at an NBC, an embassy in uh, DC, which was pretty cool. But that's a totally different story. Um, and then what brought me back though to Tarantino, like I feel like I kind of like. I don't know, like Hateful Eight. I don't think I even saw it. I wasn't interested because I felt like this seems like the same movie again. Like, I don't know if he's going back to that again. And maybe I, I haven't seen it, so I shouldn't I shouldn't criticize it. Uh, maybe I do need to see it. But then when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was announced and that was coming out, I was pumped because I was like, this is the type of QT content that I wanted to see. And I wasn't disappointed with that. But to this day, I mean, I, I still think Inglorious Bastards is is my favorite, um, and it's a long shot for me. So you know, it's funny because, like, I I will say, uh, Django is my least favorite by far. Um, I feel like that's the one where he it kind of feels very derivative. Like, just he's going for the spaghetti westerns, but like, what you, you should just go watch the spaghetti western instead. <laughs> but um, I think my favorites are the first, you know, Jackie Brown, uh, Pulp Fiction, and Reservoir Dogs. Um, but it's interesting because like I, I have mixed feelings on all uh, on certain ones, but I still think that like him operating like when I say Django is his worst movie, it's he's operating on another level than, you know, 95 percent of other filmmakers. Like his worst movie is better than most people's best movie, you know, that kind of thing. So like there's a, there's a baseline respect that I want to make clear, you know. So um, one more Tar- Tarantino thing. Uh our good friend Travis, once again, thank you for this. Sent us a, a little bit of research, and this is from a New York Times review from Manola Dargis. Uh, she called this at times boring. She said that uh, in all Tarantino movies, there's a lot to chew on, but even more to gag on. Um, definitely gave a shot at him being the guy who won an Oscar for a movie that had a guy hiding a watch up his rectum in it, put that in the review. I didn't think that shot was necessary, but we all know Tarantino thinks of himself as a genius. Twice late in the movie, once Hitler turns to Goebbels and says, this is the best film I've ever seen, or this is your best work. And then at the end, Aldo Rain says, I think this is my masterpiece. Obviously, that's Tarantino saying this is my best film. Is he wrong? Is he tooting his own horn? Does he get to toot his horn because he's Quentin Tarantino? Well, it's funny now. If you ask him now, he says Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his best movie. Um, but it's but it you know I you, when I was younger, I remember in theaters kind of rolling my eyes, and I don't think it's his masterpiece. It's awesome that he does it at the end of the movie. It's hilarious. It's it's it's, it's just it's great. I uh, that's the kind of thing where. It's so bozo to like call a movie your masterpiece in a way. And I just, I find myself smiling at the end of it, even though I don't necessarily agree. I'm like, yeah, it's your masterpiece. Sure. If you want it to be your masterpiece, hey, go ahead. You've earned it. 
I love it too. I, I think no matter who you are, you're allowed to say that in your own film. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to like, you know, if you don't win the Academy Award, you can't say like, oh, my movie was better than this other movie, but at least he's kind of comparing his own film to others in his own repertoire. But I think the thing that you have to respect about Tarantino is like his early movies were regarded so highly and it's really hard for like, you see a lot of directors come out with their first one, maybe two movies are like outstanding and they're amazing. And then maybe the ideas kind of dry up or whatever. And they kind of slowly fizzle over time. I feel like Tarantino for me personally, like he's brought the heat from day one throughout his entire career. I don't think there's been any lulls or, or like really high highs. I think he's been very, very consistent throughout his whole career. And he's shown a lot of different, I would say skills and, things just throughout his movies that are new um, as you get through them. So I don't know. I feel like I love that. He said that I do. I mean, one thing I'll say quickly, if I had a critique of this movie or Tarantino in general, and this guy's an absolute legend, I'm not like really critiquing. I'm just saying, I do think he, he explains things to the audience, maybe over explains things at times. And some of those things that are very much like on the nose, like this is this might be my masterpiece and this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like that to me is it's very Tarantino. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just I definitely feel like sometimes like there's no mystery in a lot of his movies because it's like especially in Inglorious Bastards, it feels like he's just straight up explaining what is going on and like showing you things that maybe he didn't need to show you. But I still think it's effective. It's like corny in a way that's likable. Like, yeah, it's it's corny to say this is my masterpiece in your movie because one, but it also takes balls because you're opening yourself up to criticism because you're basically asking someone to say, no, it's not. And the yeah, fact that yeah. he had the confidence to do it and the fact that if you ask him now, he will say once upon a time in Hollywood's this masterpiece, which is funny <laughs> that like he thinks like, I don't know, I, I like once upon a time in Hollywood a lot. But if you listen to any interviews, he's like, it's the greatest movie ever made kind of thing and i'm just like ah <laughs> like, i don't know <laughs> but it, it reminds me of like have you heard paul thomas anderson talk about magnolia before it's like he's like this is my masterpiece for sure um, when he's that when he's at that age he says that now if you ask him i don't think he says i would cut 30 minutes yeah. so it's just like it takes yeah. you have to be a certain age and have that hubris and that's what i like is that like it's the cocksure kind of you're in your like the prime you know things are he still feels young he's he's about to become like you know middle age kind of thing and he's like and then it's interesting i mean he has this whole 10 movie thing where he claims he's only gonna make one more movie i don't know i think he he believe i think this is what he's gonna do he's gonna make a mini series um so that he can justify continuing to make things and then he'll you know he's already writing his books he did the novelization of once upon a time in hollywood which is a really interesting read because it's different than the movie in a lot of ways and then he said he's going to make a bounty law TV show based off the TV show within a show on that. And then that'll be like, that'll like get him like spinning his wheels for like five years. Then he'll make his like air quotes last movie. But then it's like, I just can't imagine if he loves movies as much as he does. He can't just sit in this because he claims he's going to write like film criticism, which is like, I don't know. That's not like where your highest talents can go. You know, I mean, if he wants to do that, fine. He's earned it. But I just can't imagine like he's going to be in his 60s and just be like, I'm done because he clearly still has the fastball. Can you imagine Tarantino writing film criticism be like 
Bill Belichick going on first take and just roasting the Patriots or the Jets. No, he does. He does. He, he had a book come out recently. I mean, he, he was. Here's the thing about his film criticism is that on the you know he has his uh, movie theater in L.A. that only plays film, uh, the New Beverly, and for the longest time he was writing film criticism on the website. Nobody was like reading it, but he was posting regular film reviews and stuff like that. And then he just he did his new book, his like film criticism book that came out recently. Um, and it's just like, and now he also has a podcast, so you can, he has a week, like, you know, a podcast he does with the guy he wrote, um, uh, Pulp Fiction with, uh, so it's kind of like, there's so much, quite, so he clearly he just loves movies more than anything in the world, and I just can't imagine that he would just walk away from it, because he has this dumb idea that, like, older movie makers can't make movies, which is like, can he just points to Hitchcock and that's really it? Like, <laughs> but like, you like look at Scorsese, Spielberg, they're all still making great movies, it's kind of like, what are you talking about? Clearly that's an, anti- like, an old kind of way of thinking that's not necessarily true especially now that they all make period you know it's all those guys only make period piece movies anymore because like they don't do i would be fascinated to see tarantino make a modern day movie he hasn't made a modern day movie since kill bill i don't think or death proof death proof would be the last one and then after that he hasn't so it's been like 15 if not more years i do love that about tarantino is he's kind of like an open book when he talks about like even other directors and other films like he he doesn't hold back he he he's able to be positive about those other films but he also like will say the things that you know maybe is slightly critical of them like uh one of our competing podcasts i guess you would call it uh he was on the rewatchables um to talk about dunkirk and he clearly was a huge fan of Dunkirk and he really liked the movie, but he also like, he was critiquing Christopher Nolan at times in a way that I was like, this is actually pretty interesting that he's not holding back here. And he's being pretty honest, which I, you know, I kind of respect it, that, that he is like just so into film that he speaks his mind and, and is so passionate about it, which you have to love. Would I was wondering, I was, no, I was thinking real quick, because you said Dunkirk, I was like pondering what's the best World War II movie of the last, like, of the 2000s and i was like oh is like inglorious bastards the only one in contention and then i was like i am i feel like it might be dunker i feel like i'm definitely more emotionally like taken in by the movie and it's entertaining shit and it's also a tight tight movie it's like under 100 100 minutes or so um but i don't know like what do you what do you guys think do you think it's are those in conversation or are they just are i know i know you love this one brian do you think that are they not in the same same league it's really hard for me to compare them because Dunkirk is to me a war movie and Glorious Bastards is not a war movie per se so like Like I've never even like that thought is that comparisons never crossed my mind but I mean if I had to compare the two it's so hard I just think they're so different I you know they're they're neck and neck for me personally I don't even know where I'd go I enjoy watching Bastards more but I have a quick question this kind of got me my wheels spinning. Would you guys rather see a Nolan script directed by Tarantino or a Tarantino script directed by Nolan? Uh, the sensibilities are so different. Uh, I think it's interesting. I, I think, you know, what I would, I do think about this a lot regarding Tarantino. I would love to see him direct someone else's script because I think people kind of undervalue his direction because his writing, I mean, he like considers himself a writer first and foremost. And I think like when you watch his movies, they're very well directed, you know, stylistically, uh, visually, they, they have everything I want, you know, set designs, things like that versus Nolan who like, 
probably is not as great of like a writer per se, but he's also a fantastic writer. I mean, he wrote Oppenheimer. Um, I don't know. I, I like that's what well, it's like, it's doing pretzels in my mind. I can't, like, I can't envision it. Cause it'd be just weird. Nolan directing, like somebody saying like curse words. <laughs> Sounds weird. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like if Nolan directed the last scene in Inglorious Bastards, would you had like the, the dynamite with the timers on it and like all, like there was some time shifting stuff going on throughout that scene where You've got like all these mini scenes within the whole movie theater that were going on. So I feel like it it actually would have been pretty awesome to see Nolan try to try to direct something like that. Uh, like Jackie but, Brown does that. It has a whole time shifting element where like there's different time. Like they keep on going to the same scene from different vantage points, which is very Nolan-esque. Um, yeah. that, like, but that's things like his 90s work kind of works because they're less like large. I think it would really depend on the Tarantino script. I think certain things like they just don't work sensibility wise. But like that more like grounded kind of Tarantino script that he could maybe maybe do like maybe on like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know. Even then, it's kind of like I don't think they're not interested in the same kind of things like Tarantino is all about nostalgia. And I don't think nostalgia is as much an element in Nolan's work. Well, yeah, just a fun little exercise there. But um, all right. I got to get into maybe the guy who stole the show, Christoph Waltz. I thought he was fantastic in this. He was electric. Also, he spoke German, French, Italian, and English in this. And I don't know if you guys read this, but I saw it in a little bit of research. This role originally was slated to go to Leonardo DiCaprio. And he was, the movie was going to be entirely in English. And it was going to be DiCaprio with a German. No, it wasn't going to be in English. It wasn't going to entirely be in English. He wanted Leo to like learn the languages. That's why it fell apart. He's like, I think he needed Leo to learn like German or just like memorize it. That was the initial plan. I think it also been written different. So there would have been more English. Yeah, no, that's why that was the whole thing. He like okay. oh, he had to be different languages. Tarantino wouldn't have done it with uh, all English. That's why he almost didn't make the movie. Because he's like, I, I wrote it up a part that nobody could possibly play, that kind of thing. Which the the actual really, I mean, because like that's like an interesting, like the Leo thing, like, ah, you, you can't really imagine it because it's Waltz. But he actually had Fassbender, the guy who plays. Uh, right. Like, he wanted the job as well. And because he, he can clearly speak a bunch of languages. And I actually can see that. It would be a different, colder approach versus the humor that waltz brings i think that would be a different movie in an interesting way so when i first saw this sometimes you see this maybe you see it a little bit in like raiders of the lost ark some of these other movies where the nazis are the ultimate evil but they're a little bit bumbling the cartoon uh, characters kind of like cartoon they're characters. taking the piss out of them that, exactly. which I kind of like. it's an approach to do yeah and in that opening 20 minutes where it's just waltz and the dairy farmer la petite it's brilliant because you think this guy's a bozo and he's got that comically large pipe and he's cracking jokes. He's like laughing and whatever. And then he gets so cold and so sinister and so terrifying. I don't think he was ever thought he was a bozo. I think the whole time you're like, they're, they're fucked. <laughs> I think that's the genius of Walt's performance is like, you know, something's off. He seems like he knows some more than he does. Because he's pull, he's slowly pulling the information, and they call him like you know the Jew hunter. So you're like clearly he's earned his reputation. So he's very. I'm just saying at the beginning, I think he comes off a little bit more charming. The dream, the, the, I think the scene works because we'll get there. Is that 
for a moment you think they're going to get away and then they don't and then you just feel like that the hard job i mean tarantino says the best scene he's ever written and i kind of agree almost like you know but b- before that he'd always see the scene the scene in true romance about the italians that he always used to say that now he says it's this one so i love that he but that's true i mean it's to be fair he wrote that scene 20 years earlier obviously you're, you're gonna have uh different things but i think if we're just talking about waltz I, I, I let's just say mvp hot take i'm giving it to pit oh my goodness I think, dude the, i think this what? is one of the most underrated performances that is a scorching scorching take you think like you know it's funny i felt like such a bozo after i watched it because i was like sitting there and i was like i think that's brad pitt's best performance by far i've ever seen in a movie and i think he like stole the movie and then i was like who else could have done it and, and waltz wasn't the first name that it took me like 30 seconds to be like who else could i possibly give it to i was that taken by pitt's performance so could I'm someone blown else, away by that. could someone else have played uh hans lada easier well, that's not, we're not doing like the whole language languages aside if we're just talking like performance it doesn't I think matter i'm the, i'm saying charisma wise both both ways no I, I, my, my thing is that when i see if pitt okay the, the actual thought exercise is this obviously this is the first time anyone ever saw waltz perform and you if you we've also seen since he just kind of plays the same thing he does the same thing um which is good it's, it's it works when, when he does it it works but if brad pitt had also been a no name and this is the first time we saw him the way it was with waltz i think there would have been oscar talk just as much because like brad he's doing the voice and that's the thing is like he's not he wasn't really doing the voice like that before this you know, shifting the jaw forward, the like the underjaw, doing like the whole southern thing. You know, is I it, don't. Is it, it's borderline. He's pushing the envelope on that Eastern Tennessee accent and the whole, the yeah. whole character. He's definitely pushing the envelope. Where I'm like, I don't know if this is Pitt's first role ever. He's definitely a star after this, but it's close to being like this guy is like almost comically bad. Like it's no way. That's crazy. His name is Aldo the Apache. He's going big. He's like, I'm going. No, no one else could do what he does in this movie. If I'm, you're asking, hey, me, I'm saying he pulled it off. I'm just saying you can't say no one else could pull, could do this. I think there are a lot of people that could that could play Aldo. Right? I dis I disagree. Not the way he does. I think a lot of people could take that script and make it do a great performance. I don't think they could do what Pitt does with it. Great. He's essentially like a southern, like good old boy from Tennessee who does moonshining. And is a badass, like now you're just and, describing the character. That has nothing to do with the performance, though. Like he's. I'm he's, just saying, though, that character could be done by I think a lot of people. I mean, the same thing you could say with Londa. There's like a guy, like a not we see Nazis played dude, before. They, if you're doing it the way you're describing, they, you're they almost didn't including the character down to nothing. They almost scrapped this movie and didn't make it because they couldn't find somebody to play. They couldn't find somebody that could act and speak all the languages. I'm, the, I'm I, I mean, I, listen, I'll give him credit for being a European and knowing a lot of languages, but I mean, it is what it is. He's a European. Dude, that his but, performance is terrifying. I I will go on record to say he might be like the the best villain performance I've ever seen because I'm not, I know I'm saying he gives one of the all-time villain performances. I'll meet you there. I'm saying, I'm agreeing with that. I'm I'm just saying I was blown away by the pitster in a way. Like I can't, can you name a better pit performance? I, I have one for you. Moneyball. Yeah, other than, other than true romance. <laughs> oh, that's where I was going. I was going to say what's better. This or Floyd. 
Floyd and True Romance is up there. That just shows you his range, though. Because he's like, <laughs> here's my thing: is the highlight. Okay, the the highlight is Londa's. No, this is better than Fight Club. Londa's best moment, I think, is obviously that opening scene. And then I think Pitt's best moment is his opening speech, his opening scene. When we first get introduced, and he's just introducing the concept, and he's just monologuing for a minute. He's just going for like, just going, going, going. And you're buying it. Like, I want my scalps, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. And it plays. You buy into these guys. And I, to the point where I, we, we can discuss like, let's just, I, we almost need to just jump in the movie because we'll talk about the actors and stuff as we go. Like, you want to just get into the meat of it? Chapter one. Chapter one, Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France. We open up with also maybe the most underrated performance that uh, the little French farmer. Oh, he was great. He's he's yeah. La, La Petite, which is John great. Rom? Also, like we he can't looks like John Rom. I'm sorry. That, that's like all I would say to myself. <laughs> we cannot underestimate. Maybe Tarantino is the best at naming characters, like Hans oh. Landa, La Padite, like stuff like that. I, it's just too good. Oh, I was all, all over that that take. I mean, Aldo Rain. Hugo Stitchlitz, Smithson, Udovich, Donnie Donowitz, like Bridget <laughs> Van Hammersmark. The whole it's like so good. It's this so, is it's, the all this is the all names team. Or yeah, Archie Wilcox, like the most <laughs> British name of all time. So Sean on Dreyfus. Yeah, yes. it's good. I, the, so yeah, we but we're in that opening scene, and they have the great. Uh, this is the interesting thing about Tarantino is that he uh, up until this point um, he hadn't used any original score. Uh, he uses a lot of Ennio Morricone. You know, I've, I talked about him before, my favorite composers. He, uh, and it's funny, Ennio Morricone did not like that he used his music like this. And then eventually they, he scored uh, The Hateful Eight for him, um, which is kind of cool. And then Ennio finally won his Oscar. Uh, but this was one, it has that opening music that, you know, that really creepy. Nazis are showing up. You're You're already a little thrown off. And they do the genius move of, I actually, I referenced this in uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they find a way to, the filmmakers purposely finds a way for the person to speak English when they probably shouldn't be, where he's like, oh, we're speaking, my French isn't so good. His French is fine. But he ties it into the plot as a good reason. The reason he says, why don't we switch to English is because he doesn't want the people below the floorboards who he already knows are there because he's a good detective or whatever um, to know that what they're saying. Right, I I've think got a question about this. Yes. Do you think, and I'm saying this full on saying that one of my top three movies all time is another round completely in subtitles. Do you think Tarantino did this early making that switch so he could give the audience some English so they didn't lose them early in the movie? Yeah, I think that's that, that was a factor in it. But like the genius of it was that he made it a plot point right. to do so. Okay, I was I, just... I have a question, not to throw us off topic, but I think I read that this movie is about 30% English and the rest is French and, and German. So, I mean, you could say that this, you know, it's it's almost like a full subtitled movie because the majority of it is not in English. Is this the highest grossing subtitled movie, at least for like America alone, that's ever been made? I mean, I, I don't know what Parasite did. Parasite would be the only one I think that would be in. But I mean, I've I never really 
thought about it that way, but I feel like it it must be. Like the big question is why do they why does they why does uh Dreyfus Shoshana make the film in English when she shows the Nazis? That's the big debate. And if you Google it, there's a lot of debate on why that they why she did it. Did it we'll way. get there. We'll get we'll there. Get, yeah. That that's interesting. But I think the real reason, I have a theory. There's 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 theories, there's there's justifications. The reason Tarantino did it is that he just wanted the final scene not to have like subtitles so they can just, you know right you're just taking in the scene that's the real reason right i've um, never even thought about that either yeah but, exactly it's like because the guy even makes a point to say remember do it in english because <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't make any sense for her to do it in english at all and then you're like oh but we do have the 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 the, the intro of hans landa i think when you see waltz for the first time it it is electric i got i gotta give it like there's nothing like him his performance is singular to the point where i don't think he's been able to replicate it, even though he well, he won another oscar supporting oscar for um django so the i think one of the one of the great opening uh gambits that you're like this guy's a little off is when they offer him wine and then he's like i'll have one of your glasses if you're like like your delicious milk i mean he's a and dairy he just, farmer <laughs> and he chugs it he chugs that milk <laughs> like absolutely insane move doesn't he later <laughs> in the scene also ask for another like this guy's gross. He's gonna do the milk gallon challenge, pretty much. Well, this, this is this is what I thought. This is the first time I ever thought about. It. I was like, well, back then they didn't have refrigerators, did they? What? Well, how are they keeping that milk cold on that farm? And then I did a brief Google, and apparently they just keep it, you know, in the cellar, and it would be kind of cold, <laughs> like uh, the below ground. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, milk, but it's it's thick milk, not unpasteurized for sure. Um, but I think like. It's a great introduction to the character uh, because you don't see Shoshana. She's not really that you just see her face briefly through the floorboards, just the way it's shot, like the overhead shot, the way it, the tension builds, it builds, it builds. I think this is probably one of the great opening scenes of all time, like top 10 opening scenes to any movie kind of thing to the point where I'm almost like, does the movie peak? And that like, I don't know. Um, it's just because it's like a perfect scene to some extent, like, you know, the, the Nazis come in, he's like, I'm going to, he, he calls in the, the soldiers and he's like, Hey, I'm going to switch over to French now. Cause that's like the performance of La when he's like finally confronts him and he's like, they're under the floorboards, aren't they? And he just sees like the guy starts crying and stuff. And you're just like, uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm getting chills thinking about it. And I think it, but then he lets Shoshana escape, which I think is like an interesting level layer to him. If you look at the screenplay, there's, he explains himself kind of thing which is interesting and they cut it which i think is smart yeah he's like oh well, eventually she'll like pop up you know that kind of thing or maybe she'll and he, he says or maybe she'll go to america who knows and you're just like and it's, it's just a great uh the, we shout out to his editor uh sally Mankey. i think she did this one yeah sally Mankey. she was his editor all the way up until maybe before hateful eight i don't know she she passed away but she's was a key element to his movies and you notice his movies get a lot longer after she passes away too um but then we just go straight to chapter two right chapter and that's three. the introduction to brad pitt and the, and the boys the inglorious bastards which it's always cool when the chapter two is the name of the um movie uh that got me excited we see all the fellas who's your guys mvp of the bastards outside of the pitster man so pitt is Pitt is my MVP, but obviously you can't go that way. So I'm going to go with Hugo Stiglitz. I just like, he has this menacing look all the time. And then they show like, you know, when, when, uh, 
He's like, I'm sure you're familiar with Hugo Stittlitz. And the German officers, like everyone in the German army knows him. And he just like gives this smile, like, what's up? Like, everybody knows me. I will say, I'm going to, we're going to get there, but I've got issues with Donnie Donowitz. Interesting. Because uh, you know who was supposed to be cast there, right? Yeah. The Sand- Sandler. He approaches, he approaches the Sandman, Adam Sandler, and then Sandler was too busy with funny people, so he couldn't do it. Sandler I, would also have he would have to hit the weights. I, I read that Eli Roth, he like he like gained like 40 pounds of muscle to to play Donnie Donowitz. So I think he works. I don't, like I don't that people was, complain. People say that's I'm, the weak link of the movie. I don't see it. They would have to get Sandler after you don't mess with, with the Zohan when he uh, got in shape <laughs> for that role, I guess. But Dude, I think the the my MVP uh, other than the pitster is uh is Omar Dominic Coco. I don't know why, <laughs> but he cracks me up in every scene. He doesn't even have to say anything. Just like him there, his face, his expressions are just always so good. So his, big fan uh, of that guy. In the fifth chapter, his little flying move to take out the second security <laughs> yeah. guard is incredible. Yeah, well, it's He's like so funny good. that he clearly purposely like cast comedy people, especially if he was going for Sandler, you know. And like, yeah. I mean, like, I, I thought you were gonna say B.J. Novak was your guy. <laughs> He's probably, I think, the one question mark where I'm like, why did he cast B.J. Novak? It's kind of awesome though, because <laughs> like, the office just popping so hot that he was like, I gotta get this guy. <laughs> yeah, I think, but like, I will say this is one of the great, again, one of the great speeches. Uh, just great character intros. We get the whole idea of these guys pretty quick um the idea that they are like no i have a question he is he rounded up these guys and this is 1941 so you have to this is pre the united states entering the war i believe and he says we're going over a little bit early who gave him jurisdiction to do this or is he just going rogue what do you mean? Secret service. Why do you say this? This is about what's the timeline again? Well, it's forty-one, but he says the yeah. boys are going to touch down in France. We're going a little bit earlier than that. I think no, I don't. I don't think he means like. I think they're talking about a specific uh, what you would call it uh, D Day, right? Or no, not because it's 40... 41 before that. We probably had spies over. Yeah, well, though. we had people over at yeah. some. Okay. I assumed he was allu- referencing some specific thing, like movement into France. Like we're already over there. I mean, what did we? I mean, obviously, he said we're going to jump into Sicily before, like, the Americans basically are in Europe. It, that yeah. is a fair. That's a fair question. That they're, they're like the same goes for uh, Fassbender and his role. He gets like the debrief, and then next thing you know, that's you know, he I just went to France. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't. I don't ask those questions, but I'm with you, John. Like there are times where I'm like, how did they get? to where they are right now but no, i think, I think you're right there i mean these guys no, you are, made, look i'm looking at the spies i brought I mean, it up no i brought up this the, this the stats so you're right i think because I, in my mind it's always like oh yeah we doing world war world war ii in 1941 it was uh pearl harbor doesn't happen until december i always forget that yeah i mean i know like if you ask me the date of pearl harbor like december 7th so since the movie takes place in 1941 these guys must be some bizarro like the guy some some guy in washington's like i want you to get a jewish crew of guys and just start fucking up nazis that's nuts that i never even realized that was an element of the movie it kind of makes me like it more it kind of makes me like it more 
there's some like secret SEAL team it's OSX. led by Brad Pitt just sniffing tobacco all day. Like, cause like we're not, we're neutral at that point. So like, if we were, if they were to get caught, <laughs> then they're, they're literally like starting a war. <laughs> Theoretically, that's like, <laughs> that, the, that kind of rules. Um, you know how long, do you, do you know how long France was occupied by the Nazis? They were, I mean, the whole six, war. Six years, five years. I think it's yeah, four I mean, years. They, they, Which is just, I mean, crazy. I feel like you don't. Two weeks to fall. Yeah. It's a, that's just crazy. I don't. I don't know. Four years is a long time. I feel like. Yeah, they were. They 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 But that was funny. They were considered not funny. Um, they were considered like the height of modern military kind of thing. So everyone was shocked that they folded so quick in 1939. So that's kind of like what accelerated everything. Like even like the Nazis didn't think it would be that easy. And then they just you know they used some you know the Blitzkrieg and stuff like that to surprise them. Yeah, but I just love the um the way that the soldier's telling the story and he's like, well, how'd you get away? And that leads to the, uh, you know, that oblige him. We got a German who wants to die for his country. Oblige him. And, you know, Donnie Donowitz comes out and you hear the, the bat clinking against the wall. That's a sick character intro right there. Knowing that uh, he's, he's coming with the bat. And then just like, I feel like directors, I want to put my services out there for any movie makers. If you need a sports reference, I will be your guy because Eli Roth, he swings right-handed, but then he calls himself Ted Williams, who was a lefty. <laughs> oh, come on. No hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. And then he says he hits it over the green monster on the Lansdowne Street, which is true. Lansdowne Street is behind the green monster, but Ted Williams was a dead pull hitter. He was hitting the ball to right field. He was not going the opposite way over the green monster. That's my problem with this movie. That's Bozo. That's it. Cause that's, you're assuming that Donnie Donowitz was like thinking in those terms. Like, you don't think Donnie oh, Donowitz. he would hit home runs to the left of the field. No, no, I do not think Donnie Donowitz. Why couldn't he say he pulled it down the line past pesky pole? There's, <laughs> there's a thing in right field too. No, I I don't think that Donnie, Donnie just thought he was a switch hitter. That's all. I think, and I'll give credit where people always shit on Eli Roth in the movie. I think he works. I think he's like he's giving a bozo over the top performance in a room of everybody doing that. How do you not? How do people? What do what do people say to? I, I think what it is is this: Eli Roth is a director also, and because he's a director and like Tarantino's friends, he's like not necessarily an actor first and foremost. He's easy an easy target because I'm like if you didn't know that he has a good look. Like he looks nuts. He, he he's obviously jacked, and he like you know where would you get that for you know the the great moment where he has like the Iron Cross. He's like, would you get that for killing Jews? And he's like, no, for bravery. And then he just winds up and just fucking wrecks him. And it's like, and it's it's it's, it's to the point where you kind of like, it's you almost get queasy because it's like so graphic, you know, where he's like beating the man to death with the bat, and it's just like kind of like I don't know. There's like clearly there's like layers of going on this idea of violence, perpetuating violence, but it's also like kind of like uh you, you know wish fulfillment of like you wish the nazis could have you know received been on the receiving end of the certain things um it's a it's a it's a complex scene i think the music is some of the best use of like you know that any morcone music he's just taken over the top but then this is where we have one of the great cameos samuel jackson hugo stiglitz <laughs> giving us the rundown because here's my question I, I i guess i'll come out with it or i was going to save this for later 
uh, Tarantino, he spent like 10, over 10 years writing this movie. He was like going to do it before Kill Bill. Then he did Kill Bill. Then he did Death Proof. And because he's like, he knew he's like, this will be my masterpiece. And it's becoming too long. He's like, it was, you know, the, the screenplay was getting longer and longer and longer. Um, I do wonder if it would have been better suited if he had chosen one or the other to focus on. Because you have the great storyline uh, with Shoshana. And then you have the bastard storyline. And ultimately, they intertwine. But would it like you're almost like i want to see more of the bastards but i also don't want to see i don't want to lose that at the same time i don't want to lose any of the shishana stuff and you but you don't want the movie to get longer and longer because the movie already feels long well so that's interesting because like i said when i first was seeing this i and even on the second time around watching it for the pod i was like oh it's a brad pitt movie and I don't think he has the majority of the screen time in this. He's he's no, he doesn't the, at all. He's the leading man. He's the star. And yeah, I do want more Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Like I want like more. they skip forward and you see like you like they skip forward years, I think, right? Where like yeah. when they, they and then you're just kind of like, and a lot of the guys are dead. If you read the screenplay, they say everybody that you don't see is dead. That's what right. it's just because so of the like, screenplay. I, like I, I wish there was more Pitt in this, be, you know, because he's hilarious. Like, I wish there was like spinoff novelizations where I could see their exploits or something, you know, like or like a, a comic book series where it was like following the bastards throughout the war because like we get this great glimpse of them, and I do wonder, like, th- th- I, I'll, I'll save it for when we get to, to. There's a point where I realized my problem. I think I finally figured out what my issue is with this movie and why, why I don't think it's like an unqualified masterpiece because it has everything that i like love in a movie it has some of the best dialogue you've ever heard some of the greatest performances the music is great the cinematography from robert richardson it's one of the best looking movies i love that his movies look this way um but there's just something that like i felt and i figured it out and we're gonna get there um but the next thing we have is we we do go to shishishana and she's now it's 1943 at this point right 45 45 oh yeah so they skipped like way ahead right and she's it's five years after the murder of her family okay and so we're so we're okay they have that intro of this guy sneaky guy we haven't obviously we haven't shouted out yet because we probably just don't know his name uh he's the guy that plays uh zoller frederick zoller daniel Bruhl. underrated he's maybe one of the most underrated performances in this movie because he's doing something in this movie what do you think Dow? are you, are you is, he, is he so unlikable that you can't get behind him i mean i don't know like i i just feel like there are so many good performances in this movie and that's not one that i think of but it's not like it wasn't a bad performance i just it wasn't as memorable to me as i would say like any of the others like i feel it's not like the flashy performance i think yeah. i think he's like it's the kind of thing where you he's trying to play likable but you know he's a nazi and you're almost like oh he doesn't want to be there and then they show his true colors at the end right where he's a he's a horrible you know kind of piece of shit yeah uh, but like he's doing that kind of like he clearly cast somebody who's like kind of like go- oh golly g shucks kind of thing yeah he also kind of looks like west bentley <laughs> yeah you could see why he wanted to cast him like he um actually well let's let's just do it i haven't really i i okay the al pacino switcherino there's a lot of options we got here obviously like your gut instinct is like churchill but <laughs> what do you guys have do you guys have anything off the top of you uh, for people that haven't listened before the al pacino switcherino is 
uh, we choose, is there a role that we would love to see the version of this movie where Al Pacino, the age this movie came out, so Al Pacino 09, um, what role would we like to see him cast in? We don't, we're not saying that we want, we would love him to replace. We say, I just would love to see that movie with Pacino in it. I have my answer without question. I have three, but I'm not strong on any of them. Uh, you uh, want me to go off the top? Yeah. yeah. The you, or, or should I, I'll go and then you can correct. I'll go and you can correct. Yeah. I'm going to say the first as Samuel L. Jackson, just him as the narrator, but that's a little cheating on what we did. That would have been good though. That would have been really good. <laughs> um, then my second one was him as Marcel. I think that he would be a hilarious lover to, uh, to Shoshana. Um, obviously we would have to play and make maybe make him Jewish as well. Um, but then the, the final one was, I, I wish that, um, that, uh, pardon me for a second, the spy, the, the British spy. Wilcox. W- Wilcox. I wish that he was, why couldn't he be Wilcox. American and Mike Myers character have been Pacino and he's like some down home boy from Louisiana. That's like recruiting him. I, I, I will. I have to correct you on this. You're assuming that Pacino couldn't play a British man. What, what, what would make you think that he doesn't have that in him? He's one of our great actors. He's a chameleon. I would love to see Pacino put on the British accent. He's played Hamlet. He's a, he's a trained theater actor. It's true. He's walked the, 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 the floorboards, dude. He's good. Right, and what's the right answer? Dude. He what do you could, got, I mean, we talked about this earlier. I, I think Pitt was great in this movie, but like there are other people who could have played Aldo Rain. And I'll straight up say Pacino, the intro when he's talking to the bastards would have been electric if that was Pacino. Yeah, and you know what you did? You know, you know what's bad is like you you were I at the moment I couldn't think of anybody, and I'm still kind of struggling with it, but like there are people who could have played that Aldo Rain's role, like bradley cooper i think could have done it no not even close not i think he's absolutely listen i don't think bradley cooper's a bad actor at all i think he's a good actor that's just crazy it's just no he does not do what pitt does and but to the point where i have to say this you gave the correct answer yes the only person who could maybe possibly do something as interesting as brad pitt in that role is al pacino and it would work if you had old Pacino playing the grizzly dog, he's got that rope burn on his neck where you're like, oh, I wonder what happened there. Do you like survive like a hanging? Like if we had Pacino coming in, he could give the speech because it's not like it's a physical role. You don't have oh, to be no. jogging around. His you know? speech <laughs> right there could be the, the the speech from any given Sunday, but better. Yeah. It yeah. was like that. that is the only role. I mean, obviously the other possibility is Lando. I don't know. Again, do we know he can't speak French? We don't know this. Maybe he can. He speaks Italian, I think, in The Godfather a little bit. I think I he, that's one need, of he needs lines, but I would love him as, as Hugo Stieglitz, just like standing there, just mean mugging the whole time. That would be incredible. He would work because he's old and you'd be like, what's this guy's deal? Why is Stieglitz this old <laughs> man who's just floating around? Because, I mean, keep in mind, we we finally got Pacino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That way, you know who would have been sick as Aldo Reigns? Honestly, this is going to sound really weird, and I'm kind of going old man style, but like Harvey Keitel, I feel like would have been an awesome Aldo Reigns. Harvey Keitel does make appearance in this movie. I don't know if you guys know this. He does do a, a vocal uh, cameo. He's the guy when uh, they call up the 
to the mid to cut a deal like i'll make that deal oh wow he's the voice of the guy being like the general saying like yeah that, that's the deal so he is in the movie um kaitel being great here's the thing is like there's very few people who can do a pit pit does no one no one can do a pit does but like to do it you have to be a guy who has that x factor and i don't think pit showed he had that x factor until this movie he's done it after this movie but this was the movie that kind of like opens him up for me like he's great and he's great in other movies like was he's like this he's before, club. was this before burn after reading is burn after reading yes, it was burn after reading 2011 this is 09 he, he, like, no. that's when he's like showing he's going I'm way off. Never mind. Burn After Reading is like 2011. I know that. This oh, movie was what? Burn After Reading is 08. Burn After Reading is 08, and this one is uh, 09. 08? Wow. So he's probably off. filming. He probably like filmed these at the same time, and it was like, wait, I have Riz. Let me show you guys how. I'm not just a pretty face. I'm not just a hunk. I'm not just abs that you see in Fight Club. And he's great. Listen, he's great. He goes bozo mode in um, 7, obviously. Uh, you know, what's in the box? Like, that. he's going. But he's not doing what he does in this movie until he gets there. And I will say, I did underestimate. He burn after reading. He does have it. He 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 definitely. But that's another one where like no one else can do what he did. Like you can't cast anyone else in that role to do what he does in that movie. I don't know. Right. I saw the X Factor when I saw the Mexican with Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, you know, like uh, well, it's you look at his movies and he has like. I mean, he's got. We got. Let's do a little Brad Pitt corner because we didn't really like. Like he does, like Benjamin Button, the case of Benjamin Button, which is like he does a lot, man. He was good in a like a river runs through it back then. Like I, I think he's really good when he's really young and hot. Like he has his own. Like a, that's just a different mode. He just becomes like on the level of an Al Pacino for me. Like obviously nobody's the level. Al Pacino's my guy, but like he becomes in conversation with one of the greats around this period for me. Like he's in Thumb and Louise, he's good, you know. Like true, true romance. Obviously, that's a little small role. I don't know. I, I think he had the X factor in in Fight Club. I mean, that's a pretty iconic role. That that's one where I'm like, I don't know who could have done that. I don't know. Oh, I forgot about like Ocean's Eleven, Mister and Mister Smith. But that's him just doing like Hollywood star. That's just like Hollywood star charisma. But that's not like X. And now he he is in the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which I think is maybe the best movie of that decade. You know what? Uh, you know what Fight Club is? If it doesn't have Brad Pitt, it's like wanted. It's just like, it's just not quite, I don't know. It's just not quite there. Like, that's a big swing. <laughs> Want, here's a movie, Wanted is a movie that like saw it in the theaters and like however old I was, almost like, this is sick. They're bending bullets. We, got, <laughs> like, we might need to cover that in the pod because like, is that movie actually low-key sick and just people forgot about it? But yeah, he's uh, he's one of the greats. And okay, but I mean, after this, we do have we we finally circle back to Shoshana, uh, meets this this guy, and then she gets uh brought to lunch by these Nazis, and they do a little sit down lunch with Goebbels. That guy gives a great performance. Um, very funny. I like that he doesn't speak. He's the only one he like doesn't speak German. So whenever they speak French, he doesn't understand. Which is they do they do a really interesting way like the subtitle work on this because some things are translated and some things aren't because you're supposed to experience it the way certain characters experience it. Yeah, and I think they do a really clever job with that. Um, but this is where they have this. Is it a strudel? Oh, the strudel. So yeah, they basically they. Uh, finally, Goebbels agrees to let. Uh, Zoller's movie be shown in this theater 
but obviously Landa needs to run security. So he has the one-on-one with Shoshana and he, but here's the question. What do you think? Do you think the big debate people have is, does he know who she is during this meeting? Yeah, because he he orders her milk. He orders the cream, <laughs> and this is in the milk. No, no, well, no. He also orders her a glass of milk. He does. Yeah. He orders her milk, and on the way out, he's like, "Wait, one more thing." Ah, uh, it slipped my mind. Like, is that just psychological warfare? And also, like, I mean, not to skip to the end. Does he already know that he's planning to get out at this point? I think you know what I always think thought he didn't and now that i've thought about it i think he does because he must be like because like why would he if he did know why would he let her go ahead with it because maybe he does know that the war because by by the end of 44 the germans knew that they like not like the like the general like mood was we've blown it it's over uh so like by 45 they're definitely like this isn't gonna work for us it's stated in the movie they admit in the movie that it's wraps. Hitler says that the Allied troops have landed in Normandy and, and they're rapidly approaching. And that this is going to be like a big last hurrah type thing in Petty. I don't know, but the the, the, the Allied troops aren't the ones who roll in <laughs> to Berlin. The the Ruskies uh did Well that. no, to Paris. I'm they're saying. coming to Paris. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that it's a yeah, it's an interesting. I don't know. He's doing a lot of. It's also funny. He calls Goebbels his number two. I don't think Goebbels was considered his number two. But you know, it's the 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 fascinating thing about Tarantino is how much like German filmmaking stuff. He like little references like to Paps. He keeps on bringing in Paps, and it's Max, Lin- Max yeah. Linder film. Those, yeah, and it's yeah. like we don't like this is a clear clearly like a period of film that like i have zero knowledge of you know like you lenny reffenstahl who they referenced like she's the one people know because of triumph of the wills she did the the, the, the propaganda movies for them but like other, other other than that like the entertainment that was happening people don't discuss it and i wonder like was was tarantino is he that much of a film buff that he's like i'm doing a deep dive into like Goebbels nazi cinema i, I think clearly he did because he like makes very specific references to movies and knowing him i know he's not making it up He's probably he's being very specific, um, and it's just it's just kind of fascinating. That, like that's like a whole I don't even know where you'd find those movies. Um, like they're, yeah. I don't think I don't think they're on a, on the Roku when you go to rent them. <laughs> but so wait, going back to what we were talking about though, you guys both think that he knew that that oh, what's her name? Shoshana. Well, I couldn't remember her French name. Uh, you think he knew, John? No, I I didn't. But now that we talk through it, I think maybe, yes, there were hints. I mean, obviously, could the milk not be just a condescending, I'm getting an espresso, this is a young woman, she doesn't drink coffee, I'm getting her milk? It could be like, there's you could do any explanation, it doesn't necessarily, it's ambiguous to a point where you're not entire. there's no like definitive answer. Right. I think that the more important thing is, the whole like one more one more thing I, I need to ask you. And then he's like, ah, slip my mind, not be important. Like that terrifies her. And again, so do, again, do like, you think in the opening scene, actually, if you pay attention to the opening scene and you look at Christoph Waltz really closely, when um Le Petit tells him or points down to the floor, Christoph Waltz actually has this facial expression of like surprise. Like he he's actually like 
he's not showing like I knew all along. He almost is showing like, oh, they are under the floor. Okay. Like, no, he says they're under the floorboards, aren't they? He's the one that, and he says, point out where on the floor they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, it's like the way his facial expression was, is he's almost playing like, oh, I didn't really know, but you knew that he knew, I guess. And like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's just like that much of a like sinister, like just mental warfare kind of person or like what's going on with him. But it is so haunting throughout it. It's just the guy scares you the second he starts talking to you in this movie. It's just. So this is my just devil's advocate is I don't think he ever saw her face when he was at the, the house. Maybe yeah. he has a picture of her somehow. But I don't know how else he would have recognized her. I would buy that. He, he would definitely, he's the kind of guy that would get pictures. Um, but like, you know, but the, the whole point is it's ambiguous. And the, re- and the only yeah. reason he does that, oh, I have something that's in my mind is it's Tarantino knowing that. It he also, he doesn't strike you as somebody like he let her get away. And in this movie, he's such a villain. It doesn't feel like he lets anybody get away. So this, this, you know, Shoshana was probably pretty special to him. And you're probably right that, you know, he had a picture or something and he he was aware of who she was. Well, and we have to also give her a shout out because I didn't really talk about her performance yet. Melanie Laurent, who plays uh, the Shoshana character, she's like, like, I know it's funny, Tarantino didn't want to cast her because he's like, I want to discover, he wanted to discover like a new friend. And she, apparently she had a, like a, a little bit of an established career in France and she had to be like, no, I'm not that famous, I promise. And this is her first Hollywood movie. She is something else. I think she's one of, this is one of the great performances. I feel like that. I don't know why we haven't brought her up. I guess because we're waiting to get to this part. But like she like even her emotion when he finally stands up, she's just so striking the way she handles um, uh, Frederick Zoller, all their interactions where she's like trying to be off putting to him. And like you get why he like I wish a girl was that mean to me. Now the difference between me and Frederick Zoller is I would never like she would frighten me and I would never speak to her again. But I'd be like thinking about that woman for the rest of my life because she is such a striking like presence. Um, the, the coolest, but like she's like she brings the emotion. It's it's surprising you pull up her IMDb and like I don't know any of these movies that she did after Inglorious Bastards and. Granted, a lot of these are like French movies, I guess, but I like seeing this performance. I was like, she, I thought she was a star. And I was like, I mean, she's, she lives in France, I assume. So I wonder if like she didn't want to move to the US to shoot movies in the US. And and that's why maybe she didn't have like a really, really, you know, high profile career after this. But it seems like she's, she's had a good career just making more like French films, but she is amazing in this. There's funny, yeah. No woman has looked as cool as she looked on film as the second interaction with Zoller when she's reading a book in the cafe with the stained glass windows in Paris, smoking a cig with the the cool hat on. I love a hat. This that's my thing is like if girls knew this, if you wear a cool hat, like a little jaunty hat, there's nothing cooler. It's the same hat that Leslie Mann wears in 40-Year-Old Virgin when she, like, <laughs> crashes. <laughs> it's a fine line. It's a very fine line. <laughs> like, I've known, there's, like, definitely, like, people where I go to, like, the same bars, and there's, there's like, a certain, there's always, like, one girl that wears the same hat every time, and you always, like, remember them because they're wearing a hat, and you're like, oh, there's hat over there. <laughs> She's always, wearing, I was like, I remember there's, like, certain places where you go, like, you know you're going to see the hat girl. And it's like, it's a, it, you have to commit to it. But when, like, if you, if there's a certain person where you, they put a hat on and they never take it off 
it's like Luther in um, the Mission Impossible movies. Once he put on the hat, he hasn't taken a hat off since. And that's well, like, yeah. it's tough because if you if you yeah. only wear the hat on rare occasions, people will comment on it. But if you're wearing it all the time, you're like, okay, it's just that's, that's their it. style. They just get the hat. Like, yeah, there's a girl. It was like I go to the bar and she'd always wear like an Indiana Jones hat, and I was like, that's outrageous. I love it. <laughs> it's nuts. Like, like the fact that one day she put that hat on, and it was every time I saw her, I'm like, one day she put that hat on, and she's like, this is it. And I'm like, respect. I just respect anyone who figures out, like, anyone that has a signature look and they just one day figure out, I'm going to wear this every day for the rest of my life. Could I want that? <laughs> I just wish I was able to find, like, what is my best outfit that I can reliably wear that everyone would be like, wow, that guy looks great today. That's like, I'm searching for that so hard. I guarantee none of the broads in the uh, the bars are pulling off the hat like Melanie Laurent. She, yeah, she, she's got the juice. Um, but- but yeah, so then we get into another fascinating guy, Michael Fassbender. Who, well, I wonder, what, what was his, like, because obviously he's become a name since. Before this, was he kind of like, because he, was, so he, he was, he was in 300, he was in Band of Brothers, um, and he was in Hex and Hunger. See, like I've seen Hunger, which is an I thought he was Irish because he was in Hunger. No, it's German. Uh, the the movies that's an Irish movie. So he was definitely like a European because like Band of Brothers. He's not he's not like a a main guy. He's not one of the guys. not a core guy. Yeah, I mean, but German. does anyone like? I mean, all these people we've we've talked about like they command the screen when they're on there. This guy, he's only in the movie for like fifteen minutes, but he crushes. Yeah, he that's- does. Oh yeah, what what is his actual? Because he he's okay. He is German Irish. All right, so he that's the reason he was. So yeah, yeah, he's really good in Hunger, and and I know people like Fish Tank a lot too. That's not a British movie, but yeah. So he's at this point, he's again kind of a discovery because no one really seen him. Then he kind of like he's he's had a he's had a pretty great career, but I think this is his my favorite performance for for him by far because he's an, that's the oh. thing is like we're saying that like he maybe I said it was like Frederick Zoller is the most underrated. It might be it might be fast bender. Cause he's like, so over the top and his energy fits so perfect with Mike Myers. <laughs> like, yeah. like Mike Myers, like if we're actually doing underrated, he's fantastic. <laughs> like to the point where I wanted an entire movie about these guys, like oh, yeah. a, British, yeah. a British world war two movie that Tarantino did with like, you know, his guy sending him out his like James Bond, kind of like you send out fast bender, Mike Myers is his cue, sending him out in a mission like James Bond kind of thing. The Mike Myers casting is kind of out of nowhere, too, because he's Canadian, I think. But uh, his parents were, like, in the British, um, like, Royal Navy or something like that. Like, in the, the they fought in World War II. The Canadians were in, oh, the, really? in the fight. Yeah, the Canadians were a part of it. I'd um, say he pulls off the, uh, the British accent, although he does sound a little bit like Dr. Evil in some of these line deliveries. I'm not going to lie. I love it. I think it's so funny. It plays. He's like, he's got the whole, cause he, we, to, we hadn't seen him in forever. Kind of like he, after the love guru, he kind of like disappeared and he like, and he really, honestly, this is his last real movie um, that I can think of other than uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which we won't get into, but <laughs> the, uh, which I don't, I don't remember his performance as being as, as iconic as this one. Um, it's great. And they have Rod Taylor playing Winston Churchill, his last role, Rod Taylor's, uh you know he's a great old-time actor time machine um, how great but, is how great's the, the the bar in the globe it's just yeah everything about it like make it no when he what's his drink order uh so, no junk in it <laughs> scott scott uh whiskey and water and mike myers just wants a whiskey 
no, yeah, no junk in it. It's just, it's like the delivery is so good. And he's just doing exposition. He's like, oh, all our rotten eggs in one basket. And you're just like, yes, yes. We'll blow up the basket. And then they do the down with Hitler all the way down. That's what's <laughs> like, because this is like, exp- people always complain about exposition scenes and this and that. And this is maybe top five exposition scenes of all time people always point to the raiders scene where you know that the the scene where all the government agents come in and he explains what the arc is that's considered one of the best ones this is up there because this is like as good as the other scenes because the performances are so good and the dialogue is so clever you know there's no wasted line every line is like a funny little kind of thing um and then but then this is when we get back to the bastards and we realize all the bastards there's like four of them left stiglitz is sharpening his knife and then you just have Brad Pitt's line reading like a fucking basement. <laughs> the basement. I'm not, not going to try to do Brad Pitt. When doesn't this. <laughs> but it's just funny because he's just going off. Um, and they're like, we're meeting an actress. Now, here is the scene. This is my problem. I, I was I finally figured out my my uh, the reason this is not like an unqualified one of my favorite movies of all time. Because of this scene. This is the problem. This is this, the let me explain myself. Because I thought about it, because there is not, if you ask me what's the worst scene in this movie, there's not a single bad scene, right? Every scene is great. You know, every scene blows me away. I realize, because I start to feel the length of the movie around here, even though the scene's like really perfect. And I realized each scene, this movie is a thriller. It's not an action movie. There's very little action. It's all like slow boiler scenes building up, building up. It's It's very um dialogue heavy you know like tarantino does and i realized i think one and there a lot of them are indoor it's a lot of indoor conversations outside of like that um the bastards you know opening scene uh but even then it feels kind of like contained because it's like it feels like an interior because they're like in a hole kind of they're in a ditch yeah yeah they're in a ditch and i think they needed like one of them needed to be broken up in a way for me I feel like it feels claustrophobic. It feel, it starts to feel repetitive in the sense that we're going through that same feeling, not in the sense that the scenes are not repetitive. It's that same emotional arc of we're doing the same thriller set, like set piece, like dialogue heavy kind of thing. And I think maybe if one of them had just been an outdoor, like more of a movement scene and more of an action driven scene, which sounds crazy. I'm not telling Tarantino how to rewrite it. I just felt the every time I watch this movie, I feel the length. And I think it's because it's interior dialogue driven thriller scenes and it happens over and over again. And there's not really a variation to it to the point where I just, after it happens like four times in a row, I kind of get taken out. And then the ending feels a lot different. So I'm back when the ending happens, but also like this scene's perfect. So that's the problem I have. I was like, why do every scene is perfect on top of each other? It's more of together. The pieces don't make a perfect whole. That's what I've kind of realized to the point where I thought about when he wrote it, like maybe he should have focused on one of the threads instead of building all these threads together in a way where like if we had had a bastard scene where they did a an actual action set piece versus that had thriller elements to it that were there were they're moving as opposed to being sitting in one location the way that it is it's a lot of one basically that's what it is it's one location one location one location this is you know what who am i to say i'm not you know i'm not the genius that tarantino is but I think maybe that was my realization watching it this time of why don't I think this is a masterpiece? And I think it could be that it could be there. It's a little repetitive in the sense that if we just gotten outside more in one of the segments, just to give us a little sense of fresh air, a little breather, a little something different. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It, I think 
that you make a good point that it like the scenes are different but the build-up and the thriller is kind of like a, it's a one-trick pony it's like there's nazis that if they figure out that these people are either jews or spies they're going to be in deep shit and that's kind of throughout the entire movie and it's it is a little bit repetitive i guess it's hard though because it's like it's hard to think of a movie with with nazis with these awful awful people where that isn't the whole like emotion that you get from the movie is like you're scared for the person that you're following in the movie throughout right like it's like I don't know how they could have done it. He could have done it differently. Um, well, no, even like the movies that he says inspires it, this movie, like 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 the Dirty Dozen, that's like an action movie. It's a men on a mission. He said he wanted to make like a men on a mission movie. And now he did this. He has like a man on a mission movie combined with that, like with the Shoshana storyline, which is a little bit more uh, obviously focused on her versus a group of people like this movie. Um, and those movies are like action set pieces. They're moving around through France. I mean, it's a like Saving Private Ryan. They're moving around doing different things. Like, it and I'm not, like, it's weird because yeah. I, I love all the scenes. I, I don't know what I would change. I just feel like if they could be written and maybe like a setting's different outdoor. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I got you for sure. And it, like, even the end, the it doesn't end in perfect harmony because it's like you've got this one part of the movie is the bastards and they're going and they just killed Hitler. Then the other part of the movie shows Shauna, who's going to kill Hitler anyways. And then the theater blows up because there's also dynamite. And it's like this great apex, but it's also like it didn't all work together because you had yeah. multiple people, like multiple, I guess, storylines that you're following throughout in a way. So, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It just like wasn't like it, does, it certainly wasn't tied up in like a perfect bow the way that it it ends. It doesn't feel wholly satisfying. And you can because he, he, he said he struggled with the ending. That's why one of the reasons it took him so long to do it, because he writes, which I appreciate, um, where he doesn't outline, which is I think a lot of the best writers don't um but like so he just finds it as he goes he does not outline no he just writes as he goes which people that outline say there's no other way to write other than outline people that don't outline say oh you can do it both ways um it's just the way your brain works he because it's just he finds it more exciting he doesn't know what's going to happen next you know basically once you've developed the characters and developed the world the story will take will go where it goes kind of thing which is why he ended up killing hitler he's like i didn't plan on killing hitler until i got there and he's like i didn't want to do that thing where oh it didn't work out hitler decided it ended up not showing up because then it would just feel empty. And then, so instead he said to kill him. But the problem is, maybe it's because he has like four bombs set up. Like there's so many ways that Hitler was going to get killed by the end of it, where it didn't matter what anybody does because he was going to die regardless. So it's almost like you had to have ways for it to fall apart. You know, like he should have had a way. Now I'm like, I'm not saying, never say the horrible criticism is you should have done what. I'm just saying maybe if it had, been where one of the ways failed and you think it's not going to pull off and then at the last moment another way succeeds maybe that would have been more satisfying i don't know yeah i mean maybe there is was a version of this where like hitler doesn't show up to the movie premiere and the bastards find a way and it's a separate operation and the bastards take out hitler shoshana takes out goebbels and all of the the high command you, you just came up with a like i think that would have been really interesting in a way that would have and that would have fixed our one location situation that happens where it's one set piece at one location, one set piece, one location. Um, yeah. Not that we're not, I'm not saying that's a better movie. I'm saying maybe that would make it feel more satisfying. Cause I feel, I do not feel completely satisfied by the time I get to the end of the movie and I never could figure out why. And I think I was like, is it this, is it the way that like, it's this set piece, this set piece. 
Um, but that's all to say, back to the set piece we were discussing in the basement. Love it. I love the <laughs> I love everything about it. The guy yeah. playing the 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 bad Nazi, he's really good. Um oh what um, I mean, just what about Sergeant Wilhelm? They're celebrating his uh the birth of his boy. <laughs> Maximilian. Maximilian. And uh, you know, as soon as the actress comes in and sits down with the bastards and Wilhelm, you know, we've all been there trying to impress the ladies a little tipsy. Just as get coming over and, uh, you know, he's like, sign this for my kid. You know, he's going to remember this. I'm going to show him all your movies. I'm going to put it up on his wall. And that's when the bastards are like, dude, you're 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 too much. Get out of here. And, yeah. and that's you know what, what I think it is? Up. You know, the, the reason I probably started noticing it um, is one, you know, this guy's doing an annoying thing and they're like, ah, leave us alone. Then August Deal, he plays Hellstrom, the Nazi with a boot. He shows up. And he sits at the table and they're like, once you get out of here and they're getting frustrated, I started feeling frustrated. And I think that that feeling took me out of the movie enough that I started thinking about it. Cause you're just like, he's when, once they start playing the card game again, cause we've already seen him play the card game once they start playing it again. And I'm like, all right, GT, like let's, uh, <laughs> let's hasten it up. So maybe that's the only time where I start feeling the length. Cause I feel like I'm back. But at the same time, like if you just showed me the scene out of context of the movie, it's a perfect scene. You know what I mean? I just, so it's like, no, I agree. There's a lot of repetition. Um, but, you know, great performances all around. Everyone's bringing it. Stiglitz. Right. For my, the dialogue is incredible. I mean, it's like you said, it's like every scene in this, the dialogue is amazing. The acting is amazing. We're, like, we literally forget about performance of these people because it's so good. But, yeah. I mean, we've already seen in the, in the opening sequence, uh, Waltz go from French to english and then later in the uh cafe sequence the french and to to german and then here in the cafe i just love when they're speaking german and the guns are right at the nuts and the guys basically the german says um to uh he's like you know i don't know what's going to happen but the two of us are not getting out of here alive and our Ooh, guy um, just decides to go, well, if that's the case, old boy, I'm going to go out speaking the Queens and like switches <laughs> it over to English. That's incredible. I love it so much. I, I do. Have, I, I do have a question. I didn't do the research to know this. Do people in Germany actually? Yeah. Like they, yeah, they exactly. put a three up like this. That yeah. That's really yeah. a thing. It's not. Yeah, definitely. They want to make that, that. That was definitely like a Tarantino was in Germany when he was, you know, he obviously was a band for a while. I, I really wonder though, because it's like, that just no, no, feels so. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a thing. Uh, like we, I have, but, have like a preternatural like behavior to just throw up my index, my middle and my right. No, you can see how it makes sense. If you just start counting on your thumb, one, two, three. That's, I think that's yeah. how they do it. Start with a thumb. You know how like NBA players will hit the three and then they'll throw up the like the okay sign. What if like Dirk Nowitzki just like one day like would have done the antlers? People would have loved it, dude. They would have been pumped. <laughs> I the, the, but the, but like another person we haven't even mentioned is Diane Kruger as Bridget von Hammersmark. She's fantastic. You totally believe she's like a 1930s uh, German starlet. Uh, they just like in the fact that everyone like I love when like even when like Zoller. When everyone's like, "Oh, are you the famous?" You know, all the all the Germans get excited about him, and then these Germans are all excited about her being a movie star, and then they're like, "Oh, we're friends," because their their backstory is not great. That like we we knew each other, because <laughs> their whole plan is it's not supposed to be. Here, here's the thing that always drives me nuts is they're like, 
obviously it's like kind of goofy where he's like, why well, we have to meet in a basement? I'm like, why don't you just meet in that abandoned house you're in right now? And also like, I get that it's like war occupied France, but we already saw that there's like cafes and things like that. I mean, obviously it can't be a place too public, but why is it the shittiest bar in the world? And like, well, she wants, she purposely chose it because she thought no one would be there. But also, um, why she thought is it was a French bar? Frank? She said this is where like the French folks go. Yeah, but yeah, like, you're right. Like they didn't really need to meet there, or you you could have made them meet there. But I do think you could have written in like a detail to to like explain why they had to meet there. I think more thoroughly than they did. But again, I'm not criticizing at all. I'm in no position to criticize. Yeah, when Tarantino is a writer, I'm just he saying he did it because he wanted to be able to say Brad, it's worth it for Brad Pitt to say like the, do his basement rant. That 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 alone yeah. justifies it. But it's just yeah. kind of like it's just like. You didn't have to show them across the street beforehand when you're just like, wow, you're literally across the street in an abandoned house. It's a perfect place to be. I think the hardest I laughed throughout this entire movie is when Stieglitz, because Stieglitz has like three lines, but when Stieglitz puts his gun on the Gestapo officer's lap and he says, from this range, I'm a, I'm a real Frederick Zoller. That, that's that's like, it's such a good line. Um, but uh it's pretty then we have the great pit pit doing his last you know like it's a mexican standoff you, you know you you no guns i got no guns you know that that whole thing it plays perfectly yeah love bridget von hammersmatt she like uh, you know taking out the nazi um because you're like don't think she's gonna do it and then they, then we cut to another interior um they're inside the veterinarian's station and when we have pit torturing her by putting his finger in the bullet hole very uh, it just like such a cringe you're like <laughs> it's like yeah. so bad. but she's explained it, it makes sense you definitely be like what was that 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 didn't that didn't make any sense i like that they chew her out and then they're like oh we have a perfect plan because i think they didn't realize hiller was going to be there well so like she was, what, she, was ex- she was explaining to the quote-unquote officers the the bastards at the table she was like yes there's been a venue change and and then Wilhelm comes up and interrupts her. So she never gets that out. And then but they'll always get, get, get killed anyways. Yeah. When <laughs> so. they get to the veterinarian hospital, she's like, there's been a venue change and the Führer is coming. And, and the whole crew. And the, yeah, the whole entourage. Basically, she actually comes up with a plan. She says, I know it's stupid to ask, but can any of you Americans actually speak anything but English? And Donowitz is like, you know, we both speak a little Italian. And uh, perfect. And my man Omar says, I don't speak any Italian. <laughs> like, like I said, third best Italian. I love that. Dominic. I think it plays. I like how she's like, because I, I like, like Germans aren't good with Italian accents. I like that touch. Um, yeah. But like, the, and then we, the, the, the set decoration is wild. Like, you know, they go in there. You love Brad Pitt wearing a tux showing up to the movie premiere because she's like you can't be wearing like if you wore if you showed up as germans you wouldn't pass as germans because they like talk to you but like if you're showing up as like a part of the italian movie making you know kind of scene it'll it'll play but waltz finds the shoe you know tarantino and his feet uh but (laughs) well yeah but before that when waltz comes up and talks to them that's one of the best moments in the movie because first off oh yeah antonio Margaretti. And Dominic Dakota are both wearing the black tuxes and the white gloves. They have white gloves, which is just an incredible touch. Yes. And then, well, because he knows this whole conversation, he knows that that they're 
oh, frauds yeah. because he found the shoe. Yeah. And then Al, well, he found the shoe and the autograph picture or the the autograph napkin. And so he is. He's, he's Aldo, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Aldo with the white tux, just like probably like going in the corner and sniffing tobacco like all good Italians do. <laughs> like just it's incredible. No. I like how she like literally said like I had I have a like a tux fitting set up that was a part of her plan she had a she had an appointment to get these tux fitted for these guys <laughs> I mean it, it, it's one of the this is the kind of thing where only Pitt when I'm saying like only Pitt could do the Italian like uh you know like what, what what's it, what's the word again Dean um Borlami Girlami, like the way he just rolls that that out of his mouth, it's just so good. And then he's like, kind of like, time, fed up Waltz, with it. Waltz is like, oh, I love it. Like, let me hear the music in it. The music, <laughs> yeah. bravo, bravo. I love it. He's crazy because he's, he's clearly like having fun with it, which is yeah. nuts. Yeah. Also, when he when he like uncontrollably laughs when she says she heard herself mountain climbing, it's so good too. he's i mean he is like a good interrogator and the way that's written is so great like well, because he knows they're lying so he's just fucking with yeah. it so he's just doing but, this for his own amusement he's like a, he's like but it's also yeah dude. but he does it so well he's like it's uh, tell me what mountains you were climbing in paris yesterday morning it's like it, that's just so brilliantly written i love that and then he like doesn't even have to quit he's like ah like ah. and then but it's kind of brutal the way he kills her that's the that's kind of yeah. like the tarantino touch where you can go from the humor to that like such like bad feeling in your stomach bit where they sit down and excuse me excuse me excuse me <laughs> and they sit down and you see the dynamite and you realize oh these guys are kind of uh kill themselves <laughs> to, to, you're like oh shit i don't i feel like there's another way to go about this um that's the whole thing with the ascending we're also like all these people are killing themselves and they don't necessarily have to kill themselves well, and at, the, can... at the same time that this is happening the uh waltz kills van hammersmark and then they take brad pitt and they're, they're, so I, we're, we're missing we're missing one of the great moments the true mvp of the movie david bowie where we have melanie laurent getting ready shishana's getting ready for the night and you know they're playing the the get putting out the fire with gasoline and that's probably the coolest anyone's ever looked in the history of film period i don't like it yeah she's put the little gun in her little in little purse you know the whole thing that is incredible so then, but then that, cause I only said that to set up that while all this is happening, she's still planning her, you know, burn down. They do the great Samuel Jackson comes in and explains how nitrate film burns like three times faster than paper, kind of that whole business. Um, but, but yes, but uh, while uh, Melanie Laurent is, or not Melanie Laurent, while the actress is getting strangled, Brad Pitt gets taken. And this is one of my favorite parts of the movie because he, he breaks his very loose Italian character and he's like, you Nazi scum, get your bands off me, goddammit. He's just kicking like it's so funny. He's just yelling. That part cracks me up. He bring, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, no one brings it like my guy. Um, they, 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 Everything's getting right. And we have this, the harrowing scene, I think probably the most emotionally resonant for me, maybe in the movie, is when Zoller, obviously they're showing the propaganda movie they made starring him which was directed by um donnie donowitz himself uh that's it he brought him in to to direct that little short film um but he comes in because they 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 he makes a point to humanize him by saying he actually is uncomfortable watching himself you know kill a bunch of people it's harrowing for him and so he's trying to give you a little sympathy almost and then he immediately takes away because this guy's a piece of shit where he tries to push the door open he's like gonna seemingly assault her and then she plays the oh come on in 
um like we're gonna have sex basically and he's like becomes like a schoolboy, and he's like oh, all right he shuts the door and then she shoots him i love whenever you shoot somebody when there's like because the movie's playing no one can hear the gunshots and there's like gunshot uh happening well it's all yeah especially during a war movie about a sniper yeah. <laughs> so it plays and they this is the again the music is just perfect where she kills him she looks back and she's she's already switched the film so that her like little film that she created is going to play and then he shoots her and it's just like you're just gutted because you did not you wanted her to get out and then like she's slowly falling so then they both die um and it's just like kind of, but like they're gonna die anyways because the whole place is gonna blow up but yeah was she, like was she planning movie. on getting out or was she planning on burning with marcel no no i don't think they have any intention of getting out which i'm like you could have gotten out they could have locked it from the outside <laughs> There's I, nothing. yeah i'd rather get shot than burn yeah that's like that's a burning alive is probably like top 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 20 worst ways to go but uh <laughs> so they, uh, <laughs> they the, the, this is all happening we cut to brad pitt uh you know doing the that's a bingo that's probably the the the, the best moment in, in single moment as far as waltz's performance getting to say that's a bingo and rubbing his hands together Ooh, so, so yeah i agree but also in this when he is getting his terms and he's like i would like the congressional medal of honor and he's like actually i would like all the medals of honor and and all of project kino gets all the medals of honor as well and like gives Pitt a look. I like that touch. you're I like welcome that touch. <laughs> it's so good and also like you know that with his place on nantucket that he also asked for like red sox season tickets i like yeah it, it's <laughs> everything about that is like i'll make that deal they're they're cutting deals and you're kind of like all right but then because at this point they're still haven't blown nothing's blown up yet right he's like the bombs are going to go off and i found the dynamite you had and i already put them under hitler himself so there's like four different things at this point they're going to kill hitler there's like so many specific elements including donowitz and omar donowitz goes up sees where hitler's box is and they take out the two guards and take their machine guns and they're right outside just ready and waiting that's a clever i love that where they're like in the bathroom they're talking about he's like can you make that can you make that he's like gotta make that (laughs) he's like whether it's like pump that that rules but it's also like they already have the dynamite do they need that did they they have none of that but this is a guy it makes no sense but tarantino knows we want to see hitler get shot (laughs) (laughs) i mean the first time i saw this that was like the image that i was always in my brain after leaving it was 100 hitler turning into swiss cheese because he got shot so many times and it's like this is amazing like this is what the audience wanted to see as this guy just blasted and i think you know what it was because i remember in like when seeing it for the first time in the theater not knowing it was coming um and i was kind of like pre-twitter where like i'm sure nowadays i would like that scene would be like all over twitter trying to spoil it or something that like i remember being like not like shocked that it happened because they'd already set up the things about the explode like he was going to get killed at that point so like because i think at that point the place is already burning they've already set the thing on fire so i wonder if they had if he had pulled a little fast one like you said where you think hitler's going to get away and then the bastards made him swiss cheese then i would have been like oh right because at that point i'm already accepted that he's going to die you know what i mean yeah like there's no way he's getting out anyways so it was like, but I mean, it is great. It's obviously a great image to see Hitler get taken out like that and Goebbels. Um, but like, 
everything about the scene is all, all the tension is great building up and you really are waiting for it to turn i guess now that we know what happens there's not as much tension but i remember like in that first time we're watching like how is hitler going to get away and then once it becomes clear he's not then it becomes really interesting and i think it's once the video starts playing of her speaking in english so what do you guys think what do you what do you guys have theories on why she chose to speak english i know on reddit they have a lot of theories my that, uh, my first theory is she doesn't know german and she can't guarantee that all the nazis know french my second theory is this is the climax of the film and tarantino wants the audience not focused on reading focused on what's happening on on the actual screen that's the real reason before <laughs> first and foremost um i uh, but uh it's funny no no i'm saying you're i'm saying you're correct that's the that's what i'm saying that's why i was raising the roof yeah yeah no i thought you were saying like oh, uh the people the argument was made that she was trying to make them feel what she felt when they spoke english because remember she didn't speak english before right that's why that when her family was killed there she so they're saying their argument is they're trying to replicate how her family felt where some strange language is being spoken to them so they don't know what's going on um because i think she probably speaks german but maybe she doesn't maybe i guess that's got to be the argument i'm trying to think if those scenes they have a translator um i have to go back to see if she like you can tell if she understands what people are saying you know yeah um, plot, plot wise I, I didn't think about it that way that's actually very smart but i thought it was literally just tarantino wanted to focus on the action on the screen and i would never notice it i just watched it enough that there's a scene there's a point where she tells marcel um remember marcel says remember do it in english <laughs> so it's like so tarantino was getting ahead of people seeing why did she speak english there um and i think it's good that you don't explain it doesn't really have to make sense because i think it emotionally it works better that way um and then the place blows up and there's a lot of fire. I love practical fire. They're just shooting machine gun into the into the people. You feel bad that the bastard's got to go. But <laughs> like, that's what I'm wondering if there's any other way. But, you know, they all get killed. And then we cut to them traveling out in the car. In the truck, Be- I should say. Because uh, Kaitel, his deal was that you guys take Landa, or Landa takes you guys to the American lines as prisoners then mm. frees you and you turn him over and switch and then, they, and then immediately he's like give me my knife and he puts him in handcuffs he's like why do you have to do this and then he shoots his buddy and they have the pit, pit's great line like i'll get shooed out i've been shooed out before yeah. <laughs> like, like, but because but, because uh walt is like you'll be shot for this and just, <laughs> uh, like, more like shoot out <laughs> yeah it just shows like you know we do but things makes a great different point. in tennessee than you guys do over here well he makes a great point he's like you got you made a deal that you give us Hitler, like because obviously Lanza let the assassination plot go forward. You end the war, then we'll let you live. And he and and he's like, I'd make that deal. That said, <laughs> what do you plan on doing once you can get over there? Because I love, I do kind of wish we had a sequel of Hans Landa living and then tuck it with a swastika carved into his forehead, just trying to like the, the number of hats that men must be wearing. Oh, I was gonna say, how many like Boston Bruins, Boston Red Sox hats do you think that that guy bought to like live in Nantucket? Yeah, maybe he just like fishes all day, like on the coast, and just he's holding it down. What's the German soccer league? Soccer, he's just watching Bundesliga, Bundesliga on TV, <laughs> at the soccer bar in Nantucket. 
Well, here's my question. Do you guys straight up like take a knife and just peel your entire forehead off, hoping that like you scar the whole forehead so it doesn't show up? Like, I mean, yeah. that's what I, it's a tough look. It's a really tough look. Yeah, I would just, I don't know, man. America 1946. I don't know how much that's playing. <laughs> like, but it's fun. It's great. You try. It's a great did you guys, did you guys know that was coming the first time you saw this movie? The end? no no you don't yeah. like it's like i think it gets so off the off the tra- tracks you don't know what's happening anymore and i think that's why this works yeah i did actually once he threw him on the ground because of the previous you know and he's doing the whole well i'm not gonna let you take the uniform off thing you know mm-hmm. Th- that i knew was coming but not like not as soon as he put him down yeah. It's the perfect final line of the movie where he's like, You got you're getting pretty good at this. I think this might be my masterpiece. And you're like, okay, that is a perfect line. It, it truly end. is. That that whole that final scene after the the theater blows up, it it really is like the perfect bow on the present ending of a movie. Like it, it's so good and it's surprising too. It's it's amazing. Just instant because you don't see it it's just written and directed by Tarantino, which is how the script ends, where he's like he makes a point to say. It says written and directed by Tarantino <laughs> right below. <laughs> and I think it, and, and you you leave with a smile on your face, which is it's it's a great ending. I think that's it's just maybe there's a little it just is a little bit muddled to get there. That last like 20, 30 minutes or so where maybe things could have been a little straightened out or ironed out in some way. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who's to say? It's like you know, it's like it's that's how Tarantino operates though. It's like it's it's almost like watching an action movie the last 20 to 30 minutes you just got stuff blowing up you're not supposed to be asking questions you just got to enjoy the fact that that's what i figured out about barbecuing the whole high command as as aldo reigns later says that's like when i figured out watching with like those people when i watched uh death proof and it was like all of us were in joy at the end when like this this it ends with uh, with an act of violence i don't know if you guys have seen it so i won't say and it just it's it kind of has an abrupt ending like that and I was, and I ended with a smile on my face. I'm like, only Tarantino can end with some like sadistic violence where I smile at the end of it. And I'm like, oh, his movies don't necessarily always have to be saying more. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they can just be like, he's giving us what we want. And yeah. it's kind of like the way Pulp Fiction. I used to be like, oh, the ending doesn't. And now I walk away from the ending of Pulp Fiction, being like, that's a that's a movie. And kind of like Jackie Brown. Well, Jackie Brown's different. Jackie Brown's is the only movie where it ends on an emotional like gut punch in a way that I think that's maybe why that movie's kind of elevated in the reservoir dogs ends in a gut punch too. So that's why I used to always think reservoir dogs in that were the, my two favorites, Jackie Brown and reservoir dogs. Now I feel like after rewatching Pulp Fiction, I feel like maybe that's his best, you know, it's a cliche answer, but now I feel like it's so cliche. People don't say it anymore, but like, I just get so taken by that end of the movie where I'm just like, you just live in that world. It's so long that you finally, it's like, it's to the point where it's long enough that I don't, feel the runtime and i just feel like i'm living it and by the time the ending comes it's like saying goodbye to friends when 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 uh, samuel l jackson walks out of that bar you're like oh there goes my buddy uh <laughs> in travolta it play i don't know it works but um that's not to say that's all i'll say probably that is a masterpiece i think pulp fiction is an unqualified masterpiece um but and i'm not and he probably has a few masterpieces in him he has a few at least a few minor other masterpieces too so completely agree i completely agree Brady, do you have a, a companion piece? I so for our double feature, I'm doing the the double double. I, I practiced different ways. I was going to say the double double. I uh, I have two for us. This is why I did it. Um, I I have a propaganda movie that came out 
for the uh as a companion piece because i'm watching these goebbels uh produced nazi what what's the name of the the movie that they make uh, uh nation's pride nation's pride so i watched uh this week i rewatched a movie i hadn't watched in a while it was a british propaganda movie and it's by uh palin pressburger it's called the 49th parallel uh palin pressburger is some of my favorite uh filmmakers of all time they're british uh, i was like a duo uh uh and this movie was he literally said it was 1941 uh british canadian movie and he said i want to show Goebbels how to make a propaganda movie the right way and it's uh it's got like Lawrence olivier uh leslie hallard but it's the simple concept is this uh the beginning of the movie because they wanted to draw they wanted to make a propaganda movie to get america into the war that was their goal so it's set in Canada. Canada was in the war at that point. So a U-boat shows up in Canada. These Nazis go to shore, and then the U-boat gets taken out by the Royal Air Force and gets destroyed. So these Nazis are trapped in Canada, and they're trying to walk their way out to the United States because the United States is neutral. So if they make it to the United States, they're fine, and then they can be sent back to Germany. So that was them trying to get America in the war. Now, by the time the movie came out, America, I think, had gotten into it at that point um maybe not came on december so uh no it came out a month before uh d-day so but regardless uh it didn't come out into america until 42 but they made it it's a really entertaining kind of has men on the mission but it's like the nazis are like you know and it's not when i say propaganda movie it's not like what you think if you if i didn't tell you it was a propaganda movie you wouldn't know um but it's a really entertaining movie now if i'm going with we got that movie Let's go with Inglorious Bastard style. This is one of the influences of the movie. It's one of my favorites. I think it's one of um, my brother Jeff's favorite movies of all time. It's uh, Where Eagles Dare, Clint Eastwood. This movie, we watched it uh, this last Christmas again. We watched, This is one of those movies I watched as a kid. We watched it a lot. One of those like perennials. Um, and I thought a lot, of, like I love this genre movie, Men on a Mission, World War II movies. I had a lot of options. I This one I've done my most thinking about the pairing. But I feel like this movie doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, it's directed by Brian G. Hutton, and it's literally uh, young Clint Eastwood, because movie came out in 68. Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton and a crew, they're parachuting down to invade a Nazi castle to, like, pull off some, uh, some you know, it's either an assassination or getting some information. But the trick about it is when they all parachute in, their whole team, they find one of their guys, their neck is broken, and they're like, did he die from the fall or did he die... And so you basically you're like, is somebody in the crew picking people off? So that's kind of the opening of the movie. And it's an absolute blast. So that's when I'm like, when Tarantino was like, I wish I had some more Eagle Dare scenes where they're like storming the castle. They're like, you know, they do the classic dressing up as Nazis to get like to infiltrate kind of stuff, you know, and they're working. And it's a lot of twists, a lot of turns. It's a blast. I think it's one of those movies you put on, even though it's like, you know, some people don't like older movies. You watch this movie, I think you'll be be riveted. Clint Eastwood, absolute star um and richard uh burton he's bringing the juice too i think it's a definitely movie worth checking out awesome well you can't miss with those two and uh so now it's time to go into our scoring and um brady do you want to go ahead and introduce the scoring system then i will go first kick it to brian brady you will take us home and then i will give the folks a little bit of homework for next week all right so uh the way we do it is we rank movies as not the goat, one of the goats, or the goat. The way I view it is one of the goats means you're a three and a half out of four star movie. 
the goat is a four star movie and if you're not if you get a not the goat that just means you're not a three and a half star it could be a three star movie and i think a three star movie is still a great movie we're not saying it's a bad movie we're just saying it's not there if all three of us give it the rating of the goat then it goes on goat everest which i feel at this point uh do we have raiders and point break are the, the, the those are the two razor lost Ark and point break are the only ones atop goat everest um and it's uh, that's good company um so yeah john what do you what, what, what are you gonna give it this time so unfortunately no more goat everest uh we're we're staying with the two i'm gonna go uh one of the goats i thought this was a fantastic movie i enjoy it every time i watch it brad pitt and christoph waltz are both incredible along with everyone else we mentioned the music is beautiful it has like this western feel to it it does not feel like occupied france uh the david bowie pin uh, needle drop is fantastic i think the dialogue is so sharp and the fact that the actors were able to pull it off whether it be italian french german or english it's just a testament to how well Tarantino uh, can write. And I mean, I know I heard that he would go up to actors not knowing German or Italian and tell them, you know, this is how you should talk, even though I don't understand what you're saying. And that's just incredible to me. Um, but as Brady, as you put, as you pointed out, there is some repetition the movie is a little longer than I would have liked. And um, it's not my favorite Tarantino and it's not in my top three uh, Tarantinos. That said, every movie he puts out is something that I will be there for. One of the goats, incredible film, enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I guess I'll go ahead for me. I'm going to agree with you, John. I, I have this as one of the goats. Um, it is my favorite Tarantino movie. I think there's a possibility that Tarantino eclipses this one and something even better will come out in the future. I'm a big Tarantino fan. Um, maybe he's not on my list of like my favorite director, all that, but I'm definitely a big Tarantino fan. I think this movie's so entertaining in so many different ways. Like, I said before the fact that like 30% of this is in English is just mind boggling because it is so captivating throughout. Um, and you also feel like you're learning so much about these different cultures in a way, like you learn uh, like German dialect in this movie, which is really cool to, to understand. Um, you feel like there's so much going on about like, I guess, French, German, Italian even. And it's just like, it's just I don't know. It's interesting. It's almost like an enlightening watch, even though the whole thing is uh, totally made up and fantasy and surrealism. Um, and I guess additionally, it's like there are definitely movies that inspired this and there are movies that are like it. And I, I'm you, you guys can accuse me of saying that directors create a new genre too often. But I do feel like this true revisionist history type of film where you literally end up killing Hitler is pretty amazing and I'm sure there are movies that have done it, but I feel like to me, at least in our, in, in this generation and the last 20 years, this is the only movie that I can think of that really takes this big of a swing in changing history and what might've happened. And it's just a really cool concept. I feel like to, 
to watch and follow. So I love it. I mean, two of the two or three of the scenes are just they're chilling, they're haunting, they're captivating, they're interesting. Like the opening scene and then the scene in the bar. It's just so fun to watch what's going on. And and I love it. It's a uh, it's one of the goats. It's a great movie. Okay, now I will say this is the one I've struggled with most. I've gone back a lot. Because obviously I feel like I've I've been I if I sound negative on this, is because I love so much about this movie. And it's so close to like, why isn't this in my top 10 favorite movies of all time? And at the same time, it's like my fifth favorite Tarantino movie, if that maybe I don't even know. Um, but at the same time, if I'm going off of my criteria of is it a four star movie, this is not a three and a half star movie because it has some of the greatest performances in the history of film. Uh, Tarantino's use of the Ennio Morricone mu music is incredible. The uh, David Bowie, uh, Needle Drop, incredible. Uh, the cinematography, just one of my best, one of my favorite looking movies of all time. Obviously, set design, costuming, everything about it is perfect. There's just something about it that doesn't make it a perfect movie for me. But at the same time, I just, I, I can't argue that it's not a four star movie. So I have to give it the goat Brad Pitt performance. This is the goat and I'm giving it the goat because I think this is my favorite Brad Pitt performance. I think it's the most underrated performance of his career. Cause I don't think people think about, they think of Christoph Waltz, which is, which is totally deserved. I think that's the other thing is like the characters are so good. Like Christoph, Christoph Waltz plays one of the great villains in the history of movies. Um, it is a bold swing to kill. I, I, I think you're, there's been alternate history movies in the past, but I don't think anyone that was the profile of this movie where like, for instance, you have like, a movie you know where uh what, what the, the the what's the show i can't remember the okay dick uh man in the high castle the entire point of the, the work is that you know the nazis won world war ii but that's the whole point of it there's very few movies i think that were like made out to be just like a world war ii movie that ends in this twist i think that's something that changed and clearly he's become obsessed with that thread because he's done it again and once upon a time in hollywood with the ending he does there and I think that that was a really bold swing in a way I don't think people appreciate now because he's done it. And now it's like kind of in the zeitgeist. So he's taking bold swings. It has some of the best dialogue in any of his movies. Maybe it's not like the perfect movie, but there's so much I love about it. And I do find myself, I don't rewatch the movie a lot, but I rewatch that opening scene a lot. I definitely re like regularly return to that because I think it's one of the great. So uh, basically a movie that has that opening scene and the character of Christoph Waltz uh, playing, you know, Hans Landa and, you know, Otto the, Apo the Apache played by Brad Pitt, which is nuts. I can't not make it the GOAT. So I thought going into this, I wasn't sure what, beginning of the pod. And, I, and if I've sounded down on the movie, it's because I want it to be more than it is, which is crazy. You should never put those kind of uh, demands on a movie and let the movie be what it is and maybe next time i'll have less demands because i like I, every time i sit down with this movie i'm like be the masterpiece i want you to be and maybe i just got to be more content with what it is because what we got is a it's a it's a good time in the movies it's very singular to what brian said i don't think there's any movie really like it even the like the movies that it's jumping off of like the dirty dozen it, it it's its own thing it's it's definitely doing a lot of things at once and so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad I picked it. 
I think it's like, because again, it's not one of my favorite movies of all time, but I think it was, it unlocked, watching this and discussing with you unlocked a lot of my thoughts that I had about it, reservations I had about the movie. And I feel that maybe next time I watch it, I'll enjoy, enjoy it more than I ever did. There we go. There we go. So two, one of the good. One, one quick question for the group. Who's the better villain? Christoph Waltz in this movie or uh, Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore? <laughs> to me, these are the two best villains of my lifetime. I'm sorry. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> it's it's Hans Landa. It is. It's Hans Landa. Because Shooter, he's not clever enough. I don't know. It's Hans Landa. <laughs> I like there's no better moment than I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit. For that's that's peak cinema, but I'll give the by a hair, I'll give it to Hans Landa. <laughs> by a hair. Sorry, right. I just missed that. Everybody, if you don't follow us on socials, please do at Movie Goats Pod. And for the next week, order up your cranberry juices because we're shipping up to Boston. We've got Martin Scorsese's The Departed coming up next. So thank you guys so much. Once again, thank you to Brian and Brady for being on with me. And please follow us, rate, download, subscribe. We've really had a fun time through these dozen episodes. Can't wait to do it again. Thank you guys. And thanks, uh, Austin Phil, for our theme song. And... Bye.